Hi, you're listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host of New Orleans by Mouth, Chef Amy Sense. And here in the studio with me today, I have Morgan Angel with Belgard Bakery. And when I tell you she has got the goodies, I am so excited because as a carb lover, um, this is my kind of show. Thanks for coming, Morgan. Thanks for having me. Well, so Morgan, uh, for our listeners out there, uh, I always spend a few minutes before the show talking to our guests and trying to get to know them. And we didn't get to finish a conversation, and so we okay. have to finish it on the air. Because I said, Morgan, where are you from? <laughs> and she said, Brobridge. And I went, oh, girl, now we have to talk. But, you know, as a baker here in New Orleans, was there something in – Growing up in South Louisiana and Brobridge, that made you go, this is the direction I want to go? Well, uh, before I was a full-time baker, I was a, a savory chef. And I just, I was always around food. Food was just the most important thing, you know. It's big families, lots of food, always in the kitchen, always helping out. And, um, I mean, I just loved it all. I, 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 That's where I gravitated to, and I would hang out. Um, for holidays and and just when I was really young, I, I learned that I could do it, and then I was just independent after that. So sometimes I would come home from school instead of doing homework, I would like break out all the knives in the kitchen, and then like chop every onion, every apple. <laughs> sometimes you know, for me, bread was just oh, it's flour and it's water. So I would just like things like that, you know, what kids do. But um, yeah, it just and then my um so. There was no one in my family that was a professional cook, but everyone was a professional home cook. If yes. You will. So I, got, I was around a lot of that, and that's just where it came from mainly. How do you go from being a savory chef to a baker? Because there is a lot of <laughs> science, you know, I, and there are a lot more rules yeah. and things. How do you make that transition, and was it hard? Um, it wasn't easy, but even as a savory chef, I was always focused more on the carb part of it. So um, I made uh, pizza and pasta and, and Italian stuff. Before I was at Bellegarde, I was a chef de cuisine at um, Pizza Dominica. And before that, sous chef at Dominica's and then lots of other pizza before that. So when I was really young, right out of culinary school, someone gave me the opportunity to um, just work at a pizza place. And I was like, I don't know how to do it. And they were like, well, we want you to be the chef. And so it was a learning curve, but I immediately kind of fell in love with the process of making the pizza. Um, itself. Not so much about the dough. I wasn't there yet, but I, I was really young. And then it was like a maybe 10-year process. And at some point, I started working backwards. So it, it stopped being just about the toppings, and it started being more about the ingredients in the dough. And then from there, I was lucky enough to work with amazing chefs and, and other executive chefs that gave me opportunities to travel and learn. And then I came moved to New Orleans, ultimately. And um, met Grayson Gill of Belgard, um, right whenever he first started baking just in the farmer's market and found his flour ultimately when he had the mill. And then things just kind of changed from there. And um, I was using it in all everything that I made. And I was making bread and pizza and stuff for the restaurants that I worked for and at home. And, and the obsession just kind of grew. And, and, and I knew at some point I've got to do this full time because making a couple loaves of bread at home and experimenting with flour just wasn't enough anymore. And that was about three years ago. And um, 
it just is right. When I moved from some, um, you know, PM chef work to AM bakery work, it was right. It felt right. <laughs> so that's good. And I probably had, was always that inside. You know, there was always a part of me that always wanted to be a baker. I just, it was like uh, recognizing it and letting it come out. So do bakers have uh, regular lives since y'all have to start <laughs> at such crazy times during the day? Well, for me, um, it works out great because I am a good, I'm a morning person. And yeah, you have a regular life. At Belgard, we're not as early as some other baker. We don't do an overnight shift. It's important for us to kind of have a nice quality of life. So we don't start at midnight or anything. We're starting the earliest person gets there at, um, you know, 4. So it's not too bad. And then we kind of trickle in between 4 and 6. And then our work day is done, if we do our jobs right, by one thirty or 2.30 for me normally. So, yeah, you can have a regular life. It's good, actually. It's great. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, I've been in love with the stuff from Belgard since the very beginning, and mm-hmm. it's really exciting to see the changes and the growth and the excitement because I know Grayson, whenever he first opened, he would start sending out his newsletter, and it was so full <laughs> of ideas and stuff and information, and I would get excited and and go, one day this guy's going to have a, a place that's going to be amazing and it, it has all really come together and y'all are y'all are booming we are we are and um <clears throat> when i came on about two and a half years ago i felt the same way that you did it was just a lot of energy and a lot of deep thought and a lot of intentions but not a lot of space and not a whole lot of organization and that was kind of what i could bring to the table immediately and um we were in this like rapid growth and we kind of knew like okay the evolution of the bakery is that we've outgrown the space that we're in the space that we were we were in was you know not very big and we were squeezing not just uh, you know um 6000 loaves a week out of there but also 300 pounds of milled flour every day and so it was important to us to work up to something bigger and that's where we're at now and we took a year to design it thoughtfully and for a long-term purpose and um, we've moved we've been in our new spot on apple street um since last june and we opened our retail store inside of that bakery which is primarily a wholesale bakery and mill in july and it it's comfortable it's great and um of course it's you know everything you do it's it's a work in progress and it'll never not be and that's the fun of it but um, it's allowed us to do lots of new things like some pastas and other things that we'll talk about. But, yeah, now we have a dedicated mill space, which is really nice. It, you know, when you're saying all the loaves and 300 pounds of milled flour, and that was just at the beginning. Yeah. I can't imagine what it's like in there uh, to to mill all this flour and to be, a, you know, around all of this and to know that, you are from start to finish. You yeah. know, you are milling the flour. You are kneading the bread. You are baking the bread. So I, I kind of feel like y- y'all's hearts are in from the start all the way to the finished product. Absolutely. And that's kind of the idea about it. I mean, um, it's incredibly fulfilling as a baker because you're right. It's it's like a new project every day. You, you're able to start and finish a brand new pod project every 24 hours. Um, and it's a chance to then change it up the next day if something didn't work the day before. And we have ultimate control because most of the flour that we use in the bakery 
has originated from our bakery. We're milling it literally on the other side of the wall from where the mixer is, so we can control everything about it. Um, and and we're milling like six different flours now, which is a great base of ingredients we can combine and change things up if need be in all of our different breads. And uh, yeah, it's it really is great. And most things are just flour and water and salt and yeah. maybe a little olive oil. And, you know, we're adding some other small inclusions, but w- everything that we have in the bakery is originates from exactly where we know and some places we've been to, um, which is really great. So it's nice to have full control over it. I love it. And, mm-hmm. you know, y'all are doing pasta now, starting out with breads and doing pasta. And I'm looking at a, a table full of just <sighs> super cool shapes of pasta. And... As somebody who is a terrible pasta (laughs) maker, I would much rather buy really delicious handmade pasta from someone else. But um, is the flour different whenever you're making pasta versus when you're making bread? Um, It can be. So what we primarily, the flours we primarily use in our pasta, um, we're using three flours. The one that we use the most of is Durham which is kind of a classic pasta. It's like semolina, you know, and a, um, this is a this is a, a durum that's grown in Arizona. It's technically called desert durum. So it's it's good for pasta because it is really dry and um, there's not a lot of bran in it. Um, and then you can see the other one that's different here is made with red wheat, a little bit different of a wheat. So it has more of that kind of like whole wheat, you know, in quotation marks kind of thing, although these are all whole wheat. This one is a red wheat, so it's so color the one is different. she's talking about. I'm gonna let you pronounce it. Sure, it's Casarisi. 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 And it's kind of like, uh, like if you would say it's rolled like an S. Yes, exactly. And if then you cut it across, it's an S. Kind of chopped, and it looks like the perfect kind of pasta to catch like cheesy sauce. <laughs> well, so yes, I would say that. People ask this question often. What pasta goes with what sauce? And um, the the first answer I always give is eat the pasta with that you like the most, with the sauce you like the most. The second answer is, yes, some pastas go better. And I would say the casserisi, which you're looking at right there, is a great pasta for kind of an in-between sauce like a pesto, something that is thicker than just an oil-based kind of pasta. Uh, I'm sorry, sauce. But not necessarily something that has like a protein, like a meat or something. In something it. that is just small enough to catch in those yeah, grooves, exactly, the exactly. little S grooves, so that you get these little yeah. magical bites and you're like, ooh, right. a little extra something. So like a chunky pesto or something yeah. with like herbs that are kind of sticky, but not large enough to where they're just sit on the bottom of the bowl. They'll actually toss, the sauce will be tossed with the pasta and it'll stick to it. Like, or a creamy pesto would be a good option too. So some pastas are smooth on the outside, mm-hmm. like a spaghetti or a linguine. Um, and then you have a rigatoni mm-hmm. here that has these little um, little kind of grooves, grooves yeah. if you will. <laughs> um, it's groovy pasta. Um, exactly. How do you decide if you're making a sauce and mm-hmm. we go to Bell Garden, we're like, oh, my God, we want all the pasta. Yeah. Which one goes with what? Well, so um, kind of the same rules apply, you know, if you're really into some people just like the shape of rigatoni because they want to stab it with their knife so you could eat anything. But 
there are a few other rules that we'll say. So everything we make at the bakery is extruded, meaning we're, we're putting it through a machine. It's an, a pasta extruder. That's how we get these fun shapes. So in addition to the rigatoni, I would put the garganelli in the same category. It's another small, dried, ridged thing. So these would be good for... Um, sauces that didn't necessarily have protein in it so something like a just a basic tomato sauce or like a real classic dish for the rigatoni would be like a spicy marinara so a tomato sauce that was like enriched with some kind of you know um, broth or something that also maybe had some herbs and some red chili flakes something you could reduce down that was like a thicker sauce but based in veg- like a pureed vegetable sauce would be great for rigatoni. And it kind of catches it so it, catches it doesn't inside. slide off. Exactly. So you're able to toss the pasta completely. Not only does it catch on the ridges on the outside, but it fills the hole on the inside of the rigatoni. The garganelli would be a good version of that as well. And then smaller protein things can be added to that. So then the same thing with the pesto, so like shrimp or something like our our vegetables that might break down, so like a cherry tomato, something that wasn't a, a more like a pan sauce, something you could put in that pan and start to finish make it, as opposed to these other two longer. And this, I'm looking at one that is like <laughs> so fun, and yeah. I'm already like ready to stick yeah, yeah. it in my purse to take it home. And that, that is the, the best. that's a malfadini. Malfadini. Yeah, that this is uh, probably the most popular one we have. It's a uh, it's 12 inches, and it has like a ruffled side. So if you'd imagine like a really small version of a um, lasagna. Yeah, kind of like a frilly lace look. Yeah, exactly. And that is great to catch all kinds of sauces. Um, So. Often people will do um, just like kind of a, a, a simple sauce with um, like a cacio pepe, which is a real classic um, just cheese and black peppers or Parmigiano Reggiano or some pecorino with um, a little olive oil and some black pepper. Really good for that because then you're getting it's really all about the pasta. And then other people are like, well, I really like it with a bolognese sauce, which is kind of a long-cooked pork and beef stew sauce, red meat. Um, other people are into the sauce, might use something that's like a braised meat, maybe a lamb or a beef that has been braised for a long time that comes with its own sauce. And then the last one is spaghetti. So classic, really great with all kinds of things. But not super great with things that are chunky because it doesn't have anything to stick to. Yeah, there's so, no body. Exactly. So, again, like an olive oil-based sauce or a cream-based sauce, something that doesn't need a lot of um, texture to stick to the sauce. Well, I, part of me is looking at all of these and wondering if different personalities <laughs> of cooks and eaters uh, go for different sauces because yeah. my husband— Love some some angel hair. Yeah, yeah. For me, I'm like I want I want a real noodle. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't I don't want an angel hair. And so sometimes we will make two different kinds of pasta in our household yeah. just because. And so I part of me is like I think we should do a test, a personality test yeah. on which pasta you're drawn to. Yeah, you're not wrong. And you know you go through phases. I I for a while when I was younger was like I only want to stab my noodles. And then I started making pasta myself when I was you know early twenties. And then I thought, I only want to twirl. So some people are stabbers, some people are twirlers. <laughs> Everyone's a little different. And then, so for uh, holidays, usually for Christmas at my grandma's house, we used to do a macaroni and cheese for the kids for Christmas. And we would call it junk and cheese. Mm. And the reason for that <laughs> is because there are always these, like, you know, that like quarter cup of noodles at the bottom of the container. 
that was too much for the recipe, but Mm -hmm. not enough for one serving. Sure. And she would just cook them all and throw them in and cover them in mac and cheese. Are there rules or, like, are you a purist that you can only have one kind of noodle? And if you have multiple noodles in a dish or multiple pasta in a dish— do you have to cook them in different pots because they cook differently? Um, you should. Okay. I mean, yeah, you know, you, I guess you don't have to, but you might find it's a little negligent because it wouldn't all be the same. And for our process, because we are using whole grains, they do cook a little, it takes a little longer to cook. And um, unlike maybe an angel hair where you could easily overcook it, it, it would be really hard to overcook our pasta because it's, it's you know, it's hearty, um, the grains in it. Um, but yeah, so I might stick to the similar thing. So maybe if you were wanted something that was a variety of looks to it, then if you'd stick to maybe all the dried stuff together, they would cook more similar, similar sh- size, similar shape. And then if you, I, it would be an interesting dish if you did the maltadini and the spaghetti <laughs> together. But I guess you could. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess you could. And if I, you were baking a macaroni and cheese, then yeah, you could that, do whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. mac and cheese. There's yeah. no rules. I don't. Yeah, think. and it, it definitely is one of those dishes that's like you don't have to think about it too hard. It's just like everything in your refrigerator and everything in your pantry, and then you can. It's magic. <laughs> well, right. so for our listeners out there, we're we're talking to uh, Morgan Angel from. Belgard Bakery, and we're talking pasta, we're talking flour, we're talking bread, and what I think is really exciting is that this is no longer just going to be limited to people who can go into the bakery and get it, that y'all are going to have this all online, right. so people can just order it now. Yes, so it was, um, when we first started, it was kind of a pilot project, and we thought if we can get it off the ground, and if we can, you know, do the production well, then we will... We will offer it to more and more people. So the first phase was in the store, and now the second phase is online. And that's the, the those are our dry pastas. So the Cassarisi, the Rigatoni, and the Garganelli. And you can get them all on our website and either, you know, schedule to pick up in the bakery or have it shipped to you. And that's along with all the flowers we sell as well. So that's all offered, um, you know, on our online store. I love it. And soon to be wholesale to restaurants around the city, too. (laughs) Well, so let's change uh, directions again for a minute and go back to flour and um, about baking at home and cooking things at home because uh, a friend of mine on Instagram is opening a pizza place, and I sent him a message, and I was like, oh, my God, that dough is so beautiful. I want your recipe. And the first thing that struck me whenever I was talking to you before the show is you said, we call it a formula. (laughs) It's not a recipe. And it made a lot of sense because as soon as I asked him for the recipe, he came back with 10 questions. What is your oven temp? Where are you cooking it? Do you have a steel? Is it a stone? Is it a barbecue? Is it wood burning? And I was like, I don't know. I could get it to like 450 (laughs) degrees. It's going to be fine, right? And then his next question was, Well, we work with this percentage of hydration, and can you put this in? And I, okay, well, I'm just gonna go get my pizza dough now because (laughs) now I see the amount of thought that goes into it. So, how do you know, like, what this hydration thing means? Sure. And how to do it? Well, so, okay, so we'll, we'll hit some basics. So, bread baking. Um, is essentially just flour and water 
some kind of leavening agent, whether you're using a sourdough starter, which is also just flour and water, or you can add in some yeast. And then salt is the last ingredient. And so there's not a lot of variance there. So the method is the most important thing. And how you combine those things. How The hydration is essentially how much water you're putting into your dough. So in every flour is a little bit different. Every flour has a different absorption rate. So if you're using a highly sifted, very white flour, you can't use near enough, near the same amount of water as if you're using a stone ground whole grains, which will absorb a lot more water. So that's the hydration. And so everything is percentage based. So you can you can mix up your flours. If you want to use 10 flours in one bread, those are all, everything will be a percentage of, you know, 100 inside of there. And then, and then your hydration is another one. They don't have to add up to 100, but the flowers have to add up to 100, and everything is based on that. And that's how bakers can control what they're doing day to day based on time and temperature, which beyond the flour, the water, the salt, the time and the temperature are the most important things. And that's why your friend had so many questions, <laughs> because if you're baking on a really cold day when it's snowing outside... It's very different than baking in South Louisiana with 100% humidity in January because all of that all of that water in the air is adding to the livelihood and the activity in your bread. And if you can't control the activity, then the bread's going to control your your time frame. And so we 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 do lots of different things using temperature variance whether it's hot water, cold water, refrigeration, overnight refrigeration things like that to control the activity of the bread. So for to help with overproofing, underproofing and all that stuff. So well it's, and I, I love it. No, that was like the the two minute version yeah. of how to be the best <laughs> Bread yeah, baker. just, you know, read about baker's percentages. It's not a difficult concept, but it is a different concept. It's not at all like savory cooking. It's you just. It's not like you can – there's a bit more thought than just I'll throw all these things in a pot and see what happens, and I'll change it from here or there. Once you kind of make it, there's not a lot of things you can do to change it once it's besides using temperature to control it. So if you have a very active dough – then you don't have time to bake it right then and there. Then you put it in the refrigerator, and then you can it'll slow everything down. And salt slows things salt, down salt too, right? Salt also slows things down. That's right. Um, so salt and temperature, uh, cold, are the two things that will help you control that the most. And I feel like uh, here in South Louisiana, our flour is absorbing a lot of moisture from the air. I especially see it with my brown sugar. I yeah. won't oh, buy yeah. the 25-pound bag anymore because it just turns into a, a block, block as soon yeah. as you open it. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I, I, I laugh because I hear people say that bakers are changing the recipes every day in South Louisiana, but they're really changing how they're baking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we do change the recipes and the formulas um, based on what works and what doesn't, but we definitely change the methods often. So that it ranges anywhere from we've mixed this dough and yesterday we left it out for an hour to today we're going to mix it and leave it out for 50 minutes. Like it's a small change, but all of those minutes add up to consistency. And that just kind of comes with practice it and watching with, and feeling? It comes with practice. It's just like it's an inherent kind of thing that, you know, after you do it a lot, I mean, it's trial and error, you know, mm -hmm. and the more comfortable you feel with what you're doing and to just kind of be able to look at what you're doing and say, this is active enough for me to now shape and retard overnight and bake in the morning or time is what I need. So, um, yeah, you just, you do it, you do it, you do it. Some things work, some things do not work. <laughs> and then you take all those things, add it up together and, and 
See if it'll work the next day. So what do you do when it doesn't work? Like your bread overproofed or something happened and it wasn't active and you have like flat bread? Right. Is it ruined? Do you What do you do with that? Well, chances are it's not going to taste bad, but look is part of it, right? So, you know, we sell our bread. So we're looking for something that's as consistent with a personal touch as possible. Um, so there's a range in there. But there's not much you can do if you have overproofed bread. If you have underproofed you, and you had time, then you can proof it more. Um, but after you've baked it, there's not really anything you can do about <laughs> it. You just learn the lessons and try a different method the next day. That's really all you can do. <laughs> I joke that anytime uh, something doesn't work, just deep fry it and then it'll be okay. <laughs> or breadcrumbs. 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 So yeah, you yeah, can have yeah. a little breadcrumbs on top right. of your baked um, pasta. Also, <laughs> um, bread pudding. Yes, bread pudding. <laughs> so all is not lost. And I think it's also good to, you know, not be afraid to try no, and to learn. Don't. No, um, that is the truth. And even as a professional, I would say the same thing. You know, um, it's a, it's all about experimenting. I mean, we are all, most of the bakers at Belgard come from different walks of life and different genres of profession. Not everyone has been a baker their whole life, but it's kind of that sort of thing that draws you in and then it your obsession starts and, and the whole point is to get it as good as you can. It's never going to be perfect. It's not a finite thing. But yeah, we're all, it's like we're constantly working on a project together and trying to make it better the next day and continue that. I love it. Well, so Morgan, if you will tell everybody where y'all are located, what they can get when sure. you're open and if there's like anything on a special day that we have to be there on that day. All right. So we are Belgarde Bakery at 8300 Apple Street off of Carrollton near Claiborne. Um, our store is open Tuesday through Saturday, 8 to 3. And every day you can find all of the pastas, all of the breads that we bake, including ciabatta and baguette and things like that, uh, pita and lots of other things. Um, we are now doing a few extra things. So we have cookies every day. Um, on Saturdays, we like to kind of do special things. So we might have um, like some tarts or things like that. So we get a lot more foot traffic on Saturdays. So you can always find some extra goodies in there. And then, of course, our online store has everything we talked about, pastas and flowers. And we have classes as well. So you can look at our online uh, store and see all the different classes. We offer weekend classes and then weeknight afternoon classes um, and where you can learn how to make pasta, cookies, bread, all kinds of things, pizza, all that stuff inside of our bakery and inside of our working wholesale bakery. I love it. It's so exciting. All kinds of cool things happening with food here in New Orleans and to have access to incredible products, uh, you know, milled grains and beautiful pasta. I'm already starting to be pretty inspired. <laughs> yeah, come come over. Come hang out with us. <laughs> so for my listeners out there, you've been listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host of New Orleans by Mouth, Chef Amy Sins. I'm going to go ahead and make some pasta and get ready to cook, and I'll keep you all posted. So until next time, ciao. <laughs>